Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighter's Fury, Inside the Heart of a Champion, with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, man, it's good to be back. Enjoying this holiday week. We're back in the saddle again for Fighter's Fury here with you for the next hour as we'll dive all over the world of mixed martial arts and boxing. Going to start off today's show uh, going out to the Orion Fields and Downstairs Convenience Store's guest line. Truly steps beyond convenient. They'll all find uh, boxing trainer Derek Santos joining us on the guest line. Derek, how are you doing this morning? I'm uh, very good, Brendan. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, we, we appreciate it, man. And I want to let you guys know, if you guys want to follow one of the best boxing Instagram accounts out there, D underscore Santos underscore boxing underscore trainer. Bar none, one of the best accounts out there, Derek. You uh, you really bring uh, knowledge and shine a good light on the game, and it's a good uh, insight onto a lot of the guys you train down here. Uh, so I can't recommend it enough for, for everybody out there who's a fan of the sport or wants an interesting insight into the sport. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely, man. So I wanted to get your your first thoughts on this because I just saw your recent post about uh, Ivan Ditchko, the 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 giant the giant Russian. He he is an absolute monster. Uh, can you give us a little insight into to training? I've gotten to see him a couple times down here over at the the Hard Rock. Um, what do you what do you what do you like about uh, his skill set and 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 how far do you think this guy can really go? Well, Ivan uh, is a unique heavyweight. Um, I say that because he's very athletic. He's very um, good on his feet um for being a guy who's almost seven feet tall he's six foot nine uh, he's got a, a very good idea of what he wants to do um as far as uh breaking you down speed he, he uses his speed and his footwork uh he's a very intelligent smart fighter elusive for being a big guy he's um in a way, you know, some guys will say, well, Tyson Fury, you know, is sort of for being a big guy, he moves very well right. uh, up top. Uh, Ivan is along that line where, you know, it's actually very hard to hit him. I, I try. We do a drill <laughs> that where I actually try to hit him. And sometimes I can go, you know, rounds barely touching him. Well, I think I saw. Did he do? Didn't he do some sparring with Deontay Wilder for this fight, or or was in the camp a little bit? It looked like they spent some time together. Uh, yeah, he he spent a week over there. Um, they brought him in for a week, and and uh, you know, I can't divulge what happened in camp, but but he he enjoyed the time over there. Yeah, it's 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 interesting they were bringing somebody of his size. Obviously, they want to match up wise. It's it's got to be a a tough thing for Deontay to find somebody. Uh, you know, he's probably used to always being the bigger guy, getting ready for fights. So to find somebody of Ivan's size, at least they were able to find something, even if it's uh, even if it's a, a case of. He's gonna obviously have his own his own qualities that he's bringing to that to that sparring session as well. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, I don't think people understand how hard it is when you're punching up at somebody. It's much easier to punch down at them than it is to punch up. And these guys with that kind of size, sometimes all they have to do is move two inches, and and two inches really becomes <laughs> long, you know, when they're already lengthy uh, individuals, and um, I think that that may give him frustrate him a little bit uh, during this fight coming up. So, so in your mind, because we got the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight coming up next week, it's really great that this fight is happening because you know you do have two undefeated heavyweights. Um, it feels like they're both in the part of their careers where this is a it's a, it's a big swing for them as far as what it could turn the next part into. When you see this matchup, they they obviously have two very. Uh, 
clashing styles. Um, in your own mind, if you were to break this one down for us, how do you see this one playing out or the ways it could play out? Well, um, initially, I'm going to tell you, when the fight was first announced, you know, immediately I started thinking, okay, well, you know, Wilder will probably catch him, you know, with the right hand, and that might be a problem um, because he's faster. Uh, he has freakish power, everybody knows. He might not have the best technique in the world, but he has freakish power. And uh, Tyson, in the past, has been dropped twice by guys who weren't really legitimate. Last being Steve Cunningham, wasn't a legitimate heavyweight with the right hand. That said, he got up and won those. Actually, with the Cunningham fight, he won by uh, TKO stoppage. And the other fight, I, I can't remember, but, but I know he won the fights. Um Tyson is a little more elusive than you would think for a big guy. And he seems to be in great shape. So as time has gone on, I sort of changed my my thought process of how much I favored Wilder in the fight. And I, right now I think it's like a 55-45 in favor of uh, Wilder. If Wilder wins because he has the equalizer, you know, you you could be down in a fight. You could be, you know, not as technical. Um, but when you have the equalizer, going all the way back to uh, Rocky Marciano days, right. um, you can stop somebody at the end. And so he has the advantage of that. Um, with with Tyson, I think if Tyson wins, he wins by decision. I think if Wilder wins, he definitely uh, will win by sneaking that right in there at some point at the end of the fight. Wait, wait. When you look at uh, a guy like Deontay Wilder, because a lot of people say, oh, well, he doesn't have, you know, the prototypical boxing style, even like some people uh, almost make fun of, like, I guess his fundamentals of it. What what do you mm-hmm. see when you watch a guy like that fight? Because, you know, I, I've heard all these things throughout his career, but it seems like when you have that kind of power, it almost doesn't matter because it's that much of an equalizer. Uh, what, what do you what do you think when, when you watch that kind of uh, 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 his, his style? Well, it's interesting because... You know, initially, I, you know, I, along with many people, many of my peers, used to think the same way. And we've seen him get touched a little early in his career, you know, where he got a little shaky in his legs, and we thought, well, how long is this going to last? And, you know, uh, one thing is he can punch really good once he's set. When he's not set, you know, you kind of, like, cringe a little bit. But I've noticed that his career has gone along. I've watched clips of him training. They seem to um, want to take advantage of that wildness, and 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 they actually train him doing that. I watched clips of doing that, and I said to myself, "Well, one of the things I've always said that I hated was fighting a wild guy." Right. Well, I hate for my opponents to fight a wild guy because they'll make you look bad, and it's very hard to block shots that are coming from all kinds of angles that are not the norm. You know. What you what you train for? Um, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't train a guy like that. I wouldn't recommend it, but it happens to work for him. So if it works for him, you know, God God bless him. You know? And you see how far he's come along in his career because he has that that supreme uh, elite power. We're talking to Derek Santos, uh, great boxing trainer. Now, what what how, how do you uh, dictate that? Because when you have a guy who has that unique skill set, or if you have a guy like an Ivan Ditchko who has you know, that unique size, but also that elusiveness, but also I've seen him, you know, dead people in the ring. He's he's that kind of powerful. Um, yeah. If it's a Sullivan Barrera, Daya Davis, whoever you're working with, how, how do you know 
Um, I, I want to use and instill what I am teaching them, but but I have to also keep in mind what they're good at and and make that the best. Well, the way I train fighters, I always look at them very individually. Um, sometimes I, you know, as I come along in my career, I learn what to do and what not to do. And I've seen, you know, other guys in the past just try to train everybody with the same success that they had for the one fighter, and you really can't do that. Each each one of these guys, not only individually uh, talented, but individual personalities, and you just have to, it's like a new meal every time, you know? You're cooking a new meal every time. Right. So, I, you know, I try to, obviously, we're going to shore up what would be the basic foundations we should be doing, but... Like those guys that you just mentioned right now, Sullenberg and Di Davis, they have unique talent. Um, and I wouldn't take that away from them. I just have to try to figure out how to use that, um, you know, to to our benefit without it becoming a deterrent. Absolutely. Well, Doug, thanks for taking time with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Again, guys, I can't recommend uh, following him on social media enough. D underscore Santos underscore boxing underscore trainer. Uh, you do great work. Um, Thank you. And it's uh, it's it's uh, it's been a real privilege to 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 cover you and 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 get a chance to pick your mind on the sport. And I uh, hope we can do it again down the line. Absolutely, absolutely, anytime. All right, that's Derek Santos, boxing trainer. Uh, really does a fantastic job down here, guys. Uh, can't recommend it enough. And uh, really great insight into what we uh, what we can expect from Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. We'll get a little bit more into that fight. Uh, when we come back on the other side. And also got to get into Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz 3. That went down yesterday. We'll be back right after these words. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, guys. Fighters Fury here on The Ticket. Thanks again to Derek Santos for joining us to start today's show. Uh, I'll link how you guys get a hold of him on social media in the podcast notes. You guys, of course, if you miss any of the show, you can download the podcast. You can subscribe on the radio.com app. You can also do on the Apple platform, iTunes, all that good stuff. So in the week that I've been gone, this has been uh, this has been interesting because this was uh, an interesting fight week as we had Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz 3. That was going down. I told you guys the story last week about um, being in the, the, the launch press conference of this and how we got kind of uh, how we – Myself and uh, Leroy Horde, my co-host from one to three with uh, with Beast, when Leroy and I were out in Vegas, how we got stuck in the middle of that press conference. So last night was the fight, and it was a first round knockout for Tito Ortiz, his first knockout, his first win by knockout since 2006. It's been a long time for Tito Ortiz to finish somebody on the feet, and ultimately, I think anybody who watched Chuck Liddell in this fight you know, probably had their biggest fears come to realization that, you know, the reflexes aren't quite what they are, that he doesn't scare people the way that he did, and that iron chin that made him the Iceman, that made him what he was, that made him the legend, uh, it's just not there anymore. And it, 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 it just bums you out a little bit. I didn't think that both guys, both guys came into this fight looking in tremendous shape. They both physically looked good. Um, didn't look like there's wink, wink, much testing going into this thing, which good for them, man. They should be able to... Uh, to do whatever they got to do to get in there for if it's if it's uh, uh, honor amongst these with them both but um yeah i i think ultimately to me this fight was only going to be interesting one way it was only going to be interesting if chuck liddell was able to come into this fight and and win about because i've seen tito i've seen tito in bellator 
and he's he's looked fine. He hasn't looked like a guy who has been a shell of himself if he's in there with the guys who are in his age class. If he's in there with, you know, the Chael Sonnens or the Stefan Bonners, or if he's in there with the guys of his era, he's going to be fine. I, I don't think Tito Ortiz, if he's in there with guys who have come up with Tito Ortiz, I, I don't think Tito Ortiz is going to have much of a problem. He looks pretty healthy. He looks in good shape. Uh, his skill set in that kind of window, in that age range, looks looks re- really strong and has looked very impressive against the guys that he's taken on. I guess the question becomes with Tito, like, where does it go from here? Like, this was the big matchup that was left on the resume. What's really left for Tito Ortiz to go and do? He's 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 really gone and taken out now his career boogeyman. So what's left? Like, he says that he's trying to build something with Golden Boy – MMA and you know the launch was fine I don't want to dump on it too hard because it was their first event and there's plenty of boxing matches that are built only on a main event and and that's what this was everybody was everybody knew if you bought this pay-per-view you knew what you were getting into um you know the other the other fights were okay they were fine but they weren't fantastic I, I didn't think there was anything much to to write home about but um yeah, with this matchup, I thought that the interesting part of this was going to be, all right, if Chuck's if Chuck's world kind of came to fruition, if if he was able to get the win, now you got something interesting. Now you have a forty nine year old Chuck Liddell who has got a who's st- who who still got a, a a recent highlight on his career, but you know the fact that he is still chinny, the fact that he doesn't scare people with that power the way he used to, especially a guy that. He really, for his great, this is a guy that he had his number over. He had Tito Ortiz's number. The, the and, and to me, look, as far as the rivalry is concerned, only one guy's got the wins in the prime years. I think once, once the, when, when, when the book is written on these two, everyone's going to remember how important this rivalry was to build the sport of mixed martial arts and how important it was that these guys um, were as big a deal as they, uh, as they were when they took each other on. But Chuck's always going to have the the big wins. He's going to have the ones that everyone's going to remember. Be like, yeah, we remember what happened with the Chuck Liddell fight. So now I don't really know where we go from here if it's if it's a, a, a Tito Ortiz idea. Because if he is supposed to front this, you know, if, if he's supposed to front this golden boy promotion, who do they get? Like, who is a legend they could go out there and say, yeah, that matchup makes sense i don't know it, that that that's a tough one because and imagine most people are going to go to bellator because of the television deal that they have because of the the opportunities the eyeballs they bring in it's gonna be interesting to see what this does business wise a lot of people made of made made a lot of them cutting the prices and then having a quote-unquote black friday deal the week of the fight they cut the prices from like 50 bucks down to 40 bucks so Maybe sales weren't doing that great. Um, you know, you also had, of course, the the Phil Phil Nicholson Tiger Woods pay per view. So if people bought that, did that deter them from buying this legend thing? I know as crazy as it sounds, but pay per view is a fickle thing, um, and we see that people are going further and further away from it. Uh, I hope it did great numbers, man. I hope that they both got huge paydays out of this, and ultimately, that's what this should have been. Like two legends getting one opportunity to get paid, especially in the way guys are getting paid these days. You know, when they were coming up, this thing was very this thing was very new. And 
the, uh, the, the, the sport built on the backs of guys like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Yeah, Chuck Liddell got to have a handsome paying job with Dana White for many, many years because he was just Dana White's boy. But also, look, Dana White, this is the one thing we can say. The guy's no dummy. I mean, we could, we, does, is he impulsive? Does he say silly things a lot of the times? Yeah. Does, does he, does he come off the cuff probably too much for a guy in his position? Absolutely. But the one thing you got to say with Dana White is he knows when there's a fight there to be promoted. He's not, it's not crazy. He's not going to just throw away um, an opportunity to have a, a, a great business event. And, he told Chuck, you're done. The other thing that should have probably been a, a, a big signal to people was when Bellator didn't want to do this. Because Bellator will do anything. I mean, straight up. They, they, if you have a pulse, they're going to put you in the cage. Medicals be damned. We've seen how it's turned out for some of their fighters. Um, so when they're passing the bucket, and you have to go to Oscar De La Hoya to make this fight happen, you should probably know what you're getting into as a fight fan. It was still cool to see them do the walkouts. It was still cool to have the nostalgia there for it. And again, thought physically, as they enter the ring, they both look good, but Chuck looks slow. Chuck, Chuck looks slow. The, the reactions didn't look as, uh, as, as we remember them to be. And, um, you know, look, if you're at this point in your career, which is four years out of the octagon, and Tito Ortiz is cleaning your clock, you you know there's a reason that you were you were there in the first place. It wasn't it wasn't a case that Chuck Liddell was just getting beat. It was the way he was getting beat. Chuck Liddell was getting beat down. He was taking he was just taking really really savage blows. And you know he's he's had this long pipe dream of wanting to go and eventually take on John Jones for whatever reason. Like he doesn't like the way John Jones runs his mouth, and he's always wanted to have that fight. It's always been a desire of his. And you know maybe someday down the line when. Chuck Liddell is 55 years old and John Jones has gone through his eighth suspension and they'll both be in China somewhere doing it for a bunch of tycoons like Floyd Mayweather is. Maybe one day they'll do it like that. But as far as ever seeing it in a premier mixed martial arts organization, yeah, I, I just, I think we saw last night that's not going to happen with Chuck. And that's a bummer. Um, should he retire? You know, he should do whatever he wants. Like, I, I never want to be the guy to retire fighters, but... He, after watching him yesterday, he's one that it doesn't seem like they got it wrong. Like, Chuck Liddell was retired and out of the sport for that long for a reason. And I don't really know what's out there for him to really intrigue the public because I don't think the public wants to see him get his ass kicked like this all the time. You know, I think they're like, well, you could talk yourself into the Tito thing because they're both from the same era. And Chuck's got the wins. So there's that. But, you know, Tito made the point in the in the lead up to this fight. Like, look, you guys may think that uh, I'm past my prime and I'm injured, but he did just beat Chael Sonnen. He choked him out. And Chael was just in the semifinals of their damn heavyweight Grand Prix in Bellator. And so uh, though it may be a step away from the UFC, it doesn't feel like Tito Ortiz is way off the shelf like Chuck feels like he's way off the shelf with this stuff so you know bummer to see hope Chuck does whatever makes him a ton of money and makes him healthy with his family but I don't really have a desire to watch this anymore that that's that's what it really comes down to like 
I'm sure you could probably come up with some legend matchup that's just not coming to the to to the front of my brain right now. Um, and maybe you'll be able to talk me into it again because look, it's mixed martial arts. Ultimately, I'm investing at the most 15 minutes. So, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. But man, it just if he doesn't if, if if Chuck doesn't have the iron chin and Chuck isn't able to scare people with his power, what does he have? What, what you know? It's like it's like what is Superman without his cape at that point? That that is. That is what makes Chuck Liddell Chuck Liddell. Um, so I I just don't think there's anything left for him here. You know, even with Tito, Tito can always go to the wrestling. Tito can Tito can go grapple you. Tito Tito will find a choke on you. You know, the fact that Tito Tito cleaned your clock and knocked you down, knocked you out like that. I mean, if Tito Ortiz is doing that to you, hasn't had a hasn't had a knockout in over a decade, then then who isn't gonna do that to you? That 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 really has to be the question with Chuck and whoever his people are. You know, if he, if he's thinking about continuing this, if Tito did that to you, who's not going to do that to you? And you know, I I, I don't you know, is there a, a a fight with like Chael Sonnen down the line? Like when Chael's Bellator contract runs out, Chael's probably not going to knock you out, so you can come out there, but he's probably going to wrestle your ass down to the ground and 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 put elbows in your face. But, you know, other than that, like, I don't know who else could sell you on a Chuck Liddell fight. Like, Chael is the only person that can come to mind. Like, once that Bellator contract is up, if Chael can get a big fat check from Oscar De La Hoya or whomever, um, that's about it for me. I don't really know what else makes sense for Chuck Liddell at this point. But, you know, salute to those guys for going out there, for entertaining us a little bit on a Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, that's that. That's that with that fight. The other fight we had yesterday, really early in the morning, you had Francis Ngannou, who actually got himself a really big win against Curtis Blades. I thought this was a very, very important win for Francis. Um, you got to remember, like, this is a guy who who would beat Curtis Blades already, but it also, on that same card, we had Alistair Overeem, and that was like his Jordan logo moment. That was his silhouette. Like, that uppercut that Francis Ngannou landed on Alistair Overeem was next level. I mean, they were making this guy out to be UFC Drago, a guy who had broken the punch power record, took it from my boy Tyrone Spong, who he's still, he's still upset about, about that, by the way, at the UFC Institute, took the, uh, took the power punching record. They wanted to make this guy into an absolute monster. And right now, Francis is, was in this new pattern of needing – something to to get his mind right because obviously taking the beat down like he did from Stipe was really really bad for him and that was supposed to be for the heavyweight championship of the world it seemed like they were teeing him up to be their poster child for the heavyweight division and why wouldn't you want a guy who looks like that who hits like that be in the face of your division obviously you would right now the face of the division is Daniel Cormier charismatic as he is he looks like he rolls out of bed after eating the the continental breakfast, like t- t- Daniel Cormier is given zero bleeps on this retirement tour about his about his body. God bless him. But you know, promoters are promoters are, are a lot of the same. Like they all want their guys to look like these these specimens. Like they can make action figures out of. Like there's a reason why you know Vince McMahon always wants his guys to look like Hulk Hogan. That's why he always wants his champions to look that certain way. Um. You know, fight promoters are no different. They see a guy who looks at the size that he is, and that stuff matters. Like, 
there's a reason that you're uh, that 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 UK fans embraced Anthony Joshua in a different way than they did Tyson Fury. Don't think that the way that they look isn't isn't part of the reason. The the fact that that Anthony Joshua looks like a Greek god, that he looks statuesque, that he is um he's got this Adonis body, and that, you know, Tyson Fury's kind of frumpy, he's got the the hairy chest, he's got the dad bod all the way, and you know, it's a good thing that Tyson Fury can talk. And if he if he couldn't talk, he really wouldn't have much because he's not a huge power puncher doesn't have this crazy physique and if you don't have those two things you better be able to be good on the mic which he is but this fight for Nganu is huge because you know one it's a guy he's already beat he he beat him really badly a couple of years ago and so you get him in there with a guy who has the skill set that really beat that really beat Nganu down when he took on Steve Amiosic the the takedowns be able to suck out the the energy. I guess the only thing we really didn't learn from this, and this is the tough thing for Curtis, is the fact that he got beat so quickly. We really don't know what it's going to be like if you take on Francis and push back. You know, that's, that's ultimately going to be the big question for him is, okay, we know that if this guy gets out to a huge, huge lead, if this guy gets his hands on you early, you're in huge trouble. That... If you beat, if you get to him in the first couple of minutes of a fight, you're you, that that is where that is where the wood chipper is. That is where you can be in serious serious danger. But what happens when you push back? What happens when the fight has to go a little bit longer? The Derek Lewis fight. The only thing we really could take out of that, other than it was one of the worst fights in UFC history, is that, well, was that fight that way because Francis was so mentally shook? from the Stevie fight from his own words it was like that he was not mentally over the hurdle of losing to Stipe the way that he did getting embarrassed the way that he did so what is what what is this ultimately going to be so where do we go from here does he take on Stipe does he try and go avenge that I think that's that's obviously very important for him um do they put him in there with another like do they put him in there with Alistair Overeem again and kind of just prove the point because I think that the reason the Curtis Blades fight worked was because, to me, if Curtis Blades wins this fight, if he's not fighting for the title next, he's fighting Stipe. Like, he's he's getting, if not the champion, the number one contender to fight the champion. He was that close. So the fact that he loses like this, and, you know, I know he wants to, to, to complain about the stoppage. I didn't have a huge problem with the stoppage. You know, I, I think that, you you kind of have the 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 ref acting like a finicky cat there, going in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. When is he going to stop the fight? Um, once he eventually stops the, fight, I, I thought it was at a good point. I think I think that Francis is going to beat him a lot worse. I really do. Um, but there's a difference in Francis beating even this Curtis Blades. I think because Curtis Blades was at the top. Curtis Blades was really really close to getting himself in contention for the heavyweight championship of the world. Now, if you were to go and say, all right, well, let's run back Francis versus Alistair Overeem. Uh, I don't really know what that does for you. You know, it's never going to get more statuesque than it was with that uppercut win over Alistair Overeem. If I was in Ghana, I'd stay the hell away because 
You got a, a veteran striker like Alistair Overeem having more data on you. He's probably not going to make that kind of a mistake again. And I just don't think it can get any more perfect than that win for you against that particular guy. So I don't know. Does he take on Volkov again? Um, I can't imagine they're going to want to run back him versus Derek Lewis being as terrible as it was. But then you got to say, well, could it be worse? Could it be worse if you are those two guys? Is it possible that those guys could go out there and put on a worse performance than they did the first time? Probably not. You know, you would think that that no matter what, that those guys could go out there and put on a better performance. But, yeah, really, I, from, from my standpoint, I, I don't know what the next move is for Francis because it feels like giving him – it feels like giving him steep pace too much. But other than that, I really don't know where they go from that standpoint. Like, taking a look at the rankings right now at heavyweight, um, he beat number three. He was number four. Only people above him are Derek Lewis. Junior Dos Santos has a fight. You know, if Ty Tuivasa wins this fight against Junior Dos Santos, I think that'd be a fun fight. Him versus Volkov might be a fun fight to do, but, you know, you might, ha- you might have you might be have very few options when it comes to Francis. Maybe, you know, look, there's a lot of questions about Daniel and, and if Daniel's going to end up fighting Brock Lesnar. Does Daniel end up fighting Francis Ngannou? I think that's going to make Stipe mental if that, if that actually does happen. I can't imagine they do that. But... He's probably going to look at it in the ilk of uh, of of a Derek Lewis. Like he's got the path to beat that guy pretty pretty easily if he uh, if he can't. But I can't imagine that's going to do. You know, I, I got to imagine for DC's one of his last two fights, he's got to do either Lesnar or John Jones. He wants to obviously go out with a big financial bang, and those guys do business for him. We'll be back right after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM seven ninety The Ticket. All right, welcome back, guys. Good to be back today. Good to be back. Back in the full swing coming up this week. But I got to tell you, I am I am jacked for this fight week. We got ourselves a real, real heavyweight clash. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury has everything you wanted. You have two guys here from two different parts of the world, both very charismatic, both have clashing styles. One guy is elusive, very good with his his skill set, great with movement. Deontay Wilder, as we heard earlier from Derek Santos, you know, not prototypically what you want from a, from a boxer skill set wise, but has now almost adopted this uh, this old effectively wild. That was the thing they used to say about AJ Burnett back in the day when he was on the Marlins in 2002, walking nine people to a no-hitter. Ah, he was effectively wild. And that's what it's kind of become with uh, with Deontay Wilder. But I will say this about Deontay. Um, we have been in that conversation with him for a long time of, it, does he really have an elite boxing skill set? Is he really the guy who is good enough to be heavyweight champion of the world? And it felt like we came back after all these fights and asking all these questions. I had the same questions, you know, especially about some of the guys that are putting him in there with Spielka and Dehupois and all that nonsense. Man, I was like, and like, what what are we doing here? If, if this guy's supposed to be heavyweight champ of the world, who are they putting him in there with? Uh, I think a lot of those things were put to rest when he took on a guy and beat Luis Ortiz the way that he did because he was, in many people's minds, losing that fight on points. He did suffer. Um, he did have a moment where this could have been the end. It, w- it could have been stopped 
if you had a different referee in there, it could have been a, a situation where he really wasn't able to to be the champion that you know people built him up to be. And not only did he dig down, he dug down, he showed incredible fortitude, he showed determination against a guy nobody wanted to fight in Luis Ortiz and against a guy who everybody just has tremendous respect for you could probably say is skill set why maybe the most skilled heavyweight out there from a boxing standpoint has that amazing uh cuban background who is just is 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 picturesque in some of the things that he's able to do but also is just has just devastating power he's 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 really 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 talented and the thing that really turned for me when it came to Deontay Wilder was he didn't really have to fight this guy. You know, if we were talking about where he was at, they could have just kept feeding him the guys. It meant something for him to go beat that individual. You know, that the the fight was called off for uh, a positive test. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, it was for high blood pressure. All right, it was high blood pressure, but it's for a guy who needed to be on his P's and Q's because Luis Ortiz knows nobody wants to fight him and needed to get himself a, a big headline fight. And so all that being said, still had a hiccup with it with a test. And so the fact that Deontay still wanted to go out there and prove that he could beat him really showed something. I think it showed a lot of people something. And we know how bad that he's wanted this Anthony Joshua fight. It's, you know, it's 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 been eating at Deontay Wilder for the longest that he does not get the treatment that Joshua does, especially over in the UK. And that's really unfortunate. Look, I, I really don't know what will make Deontay Wilder a superstar. I, I don't know. Because from my standpoint, he's got everything you would want. He knocks people out. He is charismatic. He's big. He's got himself this, you know, superhero-like body. I, I don't know what it would take to make Deontay Wilder make that next step. Is beating a Tyson Fury good enough? I hope it is. I hope that they I hope this does a whole lot of business because from the other standpoint, you have Tyson Fury, who was the guy to dethrone Vladimir Klitschko. And I remember I remember thinking, this was the thing that was funny about that fight. To me, it was such an afterthought that he was gonna win that fight because of how dominant Klitschko was. And I remember we were uh, we were we were uh, following, you know, Shannon Briggs' whole chase of Vladimir Klitschko. I really thought that fight was going to happen. I thought it was going to be the next fight with how hot their rivalry was, with the amount of coverage it was getting on TMZ. I thought that was going to end up being the next fight after Vladimir Klitschko dealt with Tyson Fury, and he did it. Tyson Fury put Vladimir Klitschko in this weird trance. It was, it was, it was a thing where he just you, you couldn't get. Vladimir Klitschko to pull the trigger. And it was funny because the Vladimir Klitschko we saw against Anthony Joshua, who was in there in the firefight, got knocked down, got up, put Anthony Joshua down, looked like he was going to have the massive comeback and the redemption story for himself and then ends up losing late in that fight. It, it was it was, it was was so strange. But you also have to wonder, well, like, was something going on with Vladimir Klitschko there or was that just Tyson Fury doing that? Because... The fact that he was able to do that with a guy who reigned over the division the way he did for so long, you gotta you gotta give some credit to that. You gotta give something to the fact that a guy was able to do that and become linear heavyweight linear heavyweight champion of the world. But where is that guy? 
That has to be the big question because Deontay Wilder has been fighting to get to here, to get all of the eyeballs on him, to continue to prove himself, to get to Anthony Joshua. It doesn't feel like this is the destination for Deontay Wilder. It feels like this is just another step to get to Anthony Joshua to become the unified heavyweight champion of the world. Tyson's talked a lot about the journey and getting here. Is it victory in itself that he's here already? That has to be the big question. If is What kind of mindset are we going to get from Tyson Fury when he enters that ring? Because I will say, I've watched Tyson Fury's last two fights since he has made his comeback. It hasn't been very impressive. It hasn't been. And I know the competition, the first one against, um, what the hell is that dude? Sefer Sefri. That guy, that is a fake name. That's not a real name. I don't know who that guy, that guy's in witness protection. Um, but it was a clown show. And then the next fight, also a clown show, taking on a guy who's quite small. So what has he really been in there with? Deontay's been in there with the absolute killers of the division in the Luis Ortiz recently. Tyson's just tuning himself up. And the thing you got to wonder with him is, all right, once he's there, when they get to this fight, and maybe he is bugging Deontay Wilder with his movement and his elusiveness, and maybe it is a little bit different because Deontay's got to punch up instead of bring that hammer down. But we've seen with Deontay Wilder, man, it doesn't take a full shot to put you on your ass. It takes a half shot to put you on your ass. If he was able to get a full shot, it's probably night-night. So, I don't know. I, 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 was, I, I was very similar. When this fight first was announced, I'm like, Deontay's going to kill him. And I've also been along the journey with a lot of you guys, watching, De- watching Tyson Fury get into tremendous shape, talk about the mental struggles that he's been through, and the fact that he may come all the way back. But the question is, is this all the way back for Tyson Fury? Is just getting here. The fact that this is a guy who talked about driving his fancy car off a bridge and ending it all. The fact that he's here is victory in itself. But is it going to be like that when it gets to fight night? Because I see Deontay Wilder. I see a guy who's just like, man, this guy just seems hell-bent on getting all the belts. And if he just cracks you a little bit, we've seen... As, as Derek Santos mentioned early on in the show, the Cunningham fight, where he was put on the canvas. That was not the heavyweight champion of the world that put him on the canvas. And we can talk about preparation, and it's hard finding guys, and you know he goes in there, and, and we know that Deontay's been working with you know uh, Ivan Ditchko, a guy we've seen locally here a bunch, a guy who's 6'9", same height as Tyson Fury, um... So is doing all he can to get used to that punching up trajectory. I don't know. But I don't know how you prepare for a guy like Deontay Wilder, a guy who's 6'5", 6'6", throws telephone pole windmills at you, really with, with, with reckless abandon. I just come out of this fight and I think this. To me, the fact that Tyson Fury got here is amazing. It is great that they're pulling the trigger and that he thinks that he's ready for this fight. And maybe he is. He looks in incredible shape. 
and should be it, it, it really should be commended that he got back here. But to me, I am looking at Deontay Wilder, and I'm seeing a guy who's just looking at this as a bus stop. That he is here to take on Tyson Fury. He is here to take out a huge figurehead in British boxing to let people know across the pond that he is the man, that he's the man that's willing to fight the man, and that he's coming for Anthony Joshua. And so, yeah, I I think that he's going to stop Tyson Fury in this fight. I think it's going to be somewhere in, like, the middle rounds. I'd say, like, I'm going to go, like, 6-7, somewhere in that range. I think he's going to find Tyson Fury's chin, and he's going to put an end to him. And that this is going to be the point where it's undeniable. At that point, if you beat Tyson Fury, and you beat him in that kind of fashion, and your last two wins are coming off Tyson Fury and Luis Ortiz, there's going to be some serious questions about Anthony Joshua and talking about who is really the man in the heavyweight division. He did what he had to do last time when he took on Povetkin, and he won spectacular fashion. It was a big-time win that he needed. But really, the running and 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 the ducking from Eddie Hearn and that promotion, at that point, it's got to come to an end because I got to imagine even the people across the pond have to say, man, if Deontay Wilder did that to Tyson Fury, what could he do to Anthony Joshua, a guy who maybe isn't as elusive, who may have more power, who may be more dangerous, but what could he do? These are questions that need to be asked. But from my standpoint, going into next week, I'm picking Deontay Wilder to stop Tyson Fury. Could end up looking foolish. Tyson Fury's excellent. I'm taking nothing away from him. But I, I just look at what December 1st means to these two guys and I think they're both coming to this thing with a, with something a whole lot different. To me, I think it's a it's a, it's it's crazy and a miracle that Tyson Fury's gotten back here. But it feels like we're on the Deontay Wilder train right now, and he's just he's just passing through. He's just passing through. Tyson Fury's just another stop. So that's what we got for next week, man. I can't wait for it. If you're if you're a boxing fan, and if you're just a fringe fan, you're looking for a heavyweight clash. This is this has got everything you want for this. It's going to be a fun fight week to cover. It's going to be a fun fight week to to just observe and see how everything goes this week. Um, I can't wait for it. It's going to be tremendous. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, we got a couple of other UFC fights for next week. We'll get those out uh, the door. Rafael dos Anjos taking on Kamaru Usman in the Ultimate Fighter finale. I'm going with Kamaru Usman. I think that guy is one of the unspoken guys in that welterweight division. And uh, didn't not not been super impressed with with Javier dos Anjos. I'm really you know I know people have uh, been raving about him at welterweight. Uh, Colby Covington gave him the business. Um, you know he beat up on Robbie Lawler, but it beat up with Robbie Lawler on a torn knee, and and really just it, that's that's that that's crazy in its own right that Robbie Lawler just wouldn't go away. So I'm going with Usman to get the win there, and then my guy Ty Toivasa taking on Junior dos Santos next week in Australia as well. I'm going with Tatu Ivasa, the shoey man. Got to go with the shoey man. Get to go against the damn shoey man. Get the hell out of here, man. Everybody enjoy the rest of your week. It's good to be back. And we'll be back tomorrow producing the morning show, hosting uh, 1 to 3 with Leroy and Beast. All back to you. Ready to roll, man. If you missed any of the show, download the podcast, radio.com, radio.com app, or on iTunes, or go to theticketmiami.com. You can download it there as well. We'll talk to you guys next week.